Hello, I want to welcome everyone, all of our campuses, to week one of our new series entitled Unseen. Come on, can we just welcome all those campuses that are joining us right now? So excited to have you guys. You know, I want to start by saying a few things. The battles that you face, the battles that we face, the struggles we face, the challenges that we face, we often don't realize that although they may be physical challenges, they may be emotional, uh, they may be mental challenges, we often don't realize that there's a spiritual entity behind those things. See, if we think that everything's just in the natural realm, Man, I've just been dealing with these thoughts lately. I don't know what's going on. If we don't understand that there's also another realm that we're operating in. In other words, we have one foot in the natural realm, but we also have one foot in the spiritual realm. I want to suggest to all of you at all of our campuses, our South Shore and Gulf Coast, Baton Rouge, all those online as well, every time we deal with something, every time we wake up, there is a reality of an unseen realm around us. We're participating in that, whether we like it or not. You and I are participating in two realms, a natural realm and a spiritual realm. I want to talk to you over the next six weeks about how that you and I can prevail in the spiritual realm. Listen, we don't have to live subjugated. We don't have to be defeated, but we can actually live in the victory that Christ died for on the cross to give us. We can be victorious in the spiritual realm. The fact is, is that there is a battle going on. And Satan, our adversary, is, as the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. That's interesting. I was thinking about this story. This, this guy, a little bit of an elderly couple, and, and uh, he went shopping with his wife, and he said, listen, honey, listen, we can look, but I really don't want us to get anything because if we get, listen, the money's been a little bit tight. She goes, okay, honey. So they went around the store, and they enjoyed themselves, and, and it was nice just looking. Well, the next day, he walks into the bedroom, and she's trying on this dress. And he says, time out. That's the dress we saw yesterday. And you said that you weren't going to get it. And I'm really talking about you not getting it. Why did you get this dress? She says, honey, honestly, I put this dress on. It looks so nice. And I heard a voice. I heard a voice. And it said, you look wonderful in it. You need to, you need to, well, you need to buy that dress. Now, honey, I think it may have been the devil. Tell, I'm so sorry. I gave into that temptation. Honey, I told you that when you hear the voice of the devil, you're supposed to tell him what? Get what? Get behind me, Satan. I did, honey. I said that. He got behind me and says, it looks better from back here. <laughs> now, that's funny, but how I many you know some of us need to make sure we're not listening to the voice of the enemy when we go shopping? The truth is, there are voices that we all listen to, and we need to discern what voice it is. There is a physical world that we live in, but there's also a spiritual world, and sometimes we have dismissed or we have diminished the impact of the spiritual word in our life. Well, I'm having a high IQ. I'm a rational person. You know, I'm an engineer. Everything's got to make sense. You know, uh, inputs and outputs. Yeah, I understand that. But the fact is, you also live in a spiritual realm. You're being influenced, sir, every day. I'm being influenced every day. Now, the good news is, the Bible teaches us that. And the good news is, is that we don't have to be manipulated by that. I want to say that again. You and I do not have to be manipulated by the spiritual realm. We can actually cooperate with God, with his angelic host, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the blood of Christ, with the name of Jesus. We can live victorious and prevail in the spiritual realm. 
I love this teaching. I love every time we do this, probably three or four times over the last 20 years, pastor and church of the king, we've done series on spiritual warfare because there's such a battle that's raging in our culture. Listen, in the lives of unbelievers, they're totally unaware. But also in the lives of believers that are unequipped, ill-equipped. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And here's kind of a, a, a basis. There's two scriptures, one in Ephesians, one in 2 Corinthians, that I'm going to lay out for you guys, somewhat of an underpinning for this whole series. Here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Listen to what this says. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Now pause for a moment. The weapons that we fight with, he's talking to Christ's followers. He says, those weapons of the world, we don't fight with those weapons. On the contrary, the weapons that we have are divine, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Look at the next verse here in verse five. Verse five goes on to say this. He says, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God for the pulling down of these strong. There's something that we have to understand in God's economy that our weapons, listen, our weapons... The spiritual weapons that we have, the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the angelic hosts, we're not fighting. Listen, the spiritual battle is not won with guns and tanks and nunchucks and knives. It's not won there. They're, 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 that, that's the physical realm. We are in the spiritual realm and we fight differently. But by the way, there is a fight. I mean, I just thought Christianity was just about giving our heart to Jesus. Man, we go to heaven, we miss hell. Yeah, it is. But how many of you know we don't need to live in hell while we're on the earth? And that's the key. The key is if we don't know how to fight, if we don't know how to win, if we don't know what our armory is, if we don't know what our, 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 our weapons are. So, pastor, how do we practically battle? I'm going to be teaching over these next six weeks about how we are equipped by God. The cool thing is, is that when you got saved, God not only, listen, he not only saved you, but he also gave you weaponry. He gave you tools. He gave you things that you and I can utilize to defeat the powers of darkness. Now, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to the other scripture. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is going to be one scripture we're going to use, verse 3, 4, 5, 6. But I also am going to use Ephesians chapter 6, a classic spiritual warfare chapter in the Bible. Again, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Interestingly, the whole world, primarily at that time, was under Roman control. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, utilizes the imagery of a Roman soldier that anybody in Ephesus would understand. Anybody in the, in the ancient world would understand because they've seen, by the way, even in Israel, okay, even in that whole region, we understand that they were controlled by the Roman world, so they would understand the Roman soldier's armor. They would understand it in Greece. They would understand it at Ephesus, obviously in Rome. Rome was the world-dominant power. So when God inspires Paul to write this, he was inspiring him to write it with an image that was readily available to the common person walking around. They get it. The question is not, do they understand it? The question is, do we understand it? Do we understand how the physical armor of a Roman soldier, how the equipping, God's going to go through piece by piece, how this translates to our, listen, both defensive pieces of armor and the offensive piece of armor, how this is so critical. It's so critical. I had a conversation with a guy one time. 
about pastor. I just feel like I'm dealing with this, 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 this claw in my mind. I feel like I'm being pushed down. I feel like, I, I, I feel like I've just got this. And listen, he was evaluating, which is appropriate, any physical challenges he may be dealing with. He was also evaluating any stress points. But I said to him, I said, could it be that there's a spiritual entity involved as well? He said, as a believer, I never thought about that. See, you know what my heart is during the series? I want to get you, watch this, to think about that. I want you to get to think about, you know what? Wow, this thing that I'm dealing with, this challenge I'm dealing with. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, look what the Bible says. Finally, my brethren, Paul's coming to the end of this book, end of this letter. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? Everybody say it, whose? His might. That's God's might. We're not strong in ourselves. This is not about our carnal bravado to pull it off, right? To pull ourselves up by our, no, 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 no. We're strong in whose power? Come on, say it. God's power, the power of Jesus Christ. He says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on, here it is now, this is our participation. All right, we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved, right? But then there's a participation. Paul says to those Christians, those early Christians, he says, put on the whole armor of God, not a part of it, but on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I want you to put on the armor of God. I wrote this down. You and I are not strong enough to win this battle in our own strength. We don't have enough strength. We have a spiritual enemy. I know sometimes people don't want to talk about it. It's not really cool to talk about it today, even in some Christian circles. And I say that respectfully, but the Bible is very clear. There is a devil, all right, and demon spirits. Jesus said this about the devil. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. By the way, I want to say this, and again, I say this respectfully. At all campuses, the enemy hates you and wants to destroy your life. He wants to knock you out of the race. Why? Because he hates God and he wants to get back at God. And the greatest way to get back at God is to get one of his kids. And the Bible's clear about this. The Bible says that we are not to be ignorant of the enemy's strategy. The wiles, the word wiles there, I wrote this down. The word wiles in the Greek literally means strategy. In other words, the enemy has a strategy. I heard this analogy one time. I think it's a good analogy. That every little baby that's born, it's like the enemy's on one side of the crib and God's on the other. And God has this magnificent plan for this child, a wonderful plan for this child, but the enemy also has a script for that, in, for that child, a script to hurt and to abuse and to destroy. That's why we as Christian parents need to pray and understand, listen, that we not only can put on God's armor for us, but we can cover our house by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand that. We have to understand that this is, listen, this is not a game. I remember when I started, when, I, when we started publicizing the series, people thought, man, that's kind of heavy stuff. No, 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 that's called Bible stuff. This is not heavy stuff. It's called, well, it is heavy, but it's in the Bible. And this is something it should be, just ABCs of Christianity, the blood of Christ, who Christ is, how do we get saved, heaven, hell, repentance, turning from sin, turning to God, but also how to defeat our arch enemy, how to walk in the authority that Christ died on the cross to give us. It's his strength. It's his power. Paul says the way to win in the spiritual realm and to protect ourselves is to put on the full armor of who? Say it, God. Look at verse 12, very powerful. Here it is. Well, pastor, you know, I just feel like 
I've got this struggle with my spouse, you know, my wife or my husband or man, the government, the problem is our government or my boss. Well, wait, time out. It's not to suggest that you don't have a challenge with that physical person, but I'm going to tell you something for the believer. If we understand this clearly, there's always something behind that. That's what the Bible says. Bible says, Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. No, 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 Pastor, you understand something. I know my, no, no, time out. That's what the Bible says. We don't, your, 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 your battle is not against human beings. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul says that you and I are engaged in a war. We're in a battle right now, and your battle is not against other people. Your battle's really not against other family members, even though it may feel painful at times. That's really not. The enemy may use somebody to wound you, but there's somebody behind that. There's a spiritual being behind that. Now, this is important, and I know this may be new for some people. This may sound a little bit freaky, but this is all in the Bible. It's the concept of the spiritual battle that we're in. You look in the book of Genesis where the enemy is introduced, where we begin to understand how he begins to lie to Adam and Eve, and, and all the way through the book of Revelations. Again, we understand where the enemy's ultimate destination is, but the point is, in Genesis to Revelation and beyond, in the sense of, uh, of where we are even right now, post-book of Acts, Living in this Christian world, living in a, with a Christian understanding that we're seeking God and we're loving God, and, and yet we live in a culture that 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 at, at times is is anti-God and they're opposed to the ways of God and philosophies and ideologies, and we've got to understand that beyond all of those things, there's a spiritual world. You know what my goal is really for this series to get everybody to wake up to go. There's another world. If I can get you to wake up every day and to be aware that there's a spiritual, and let me say this, do you know this? The spiritual world is not passing away, but the physical world is. The physical world is passing away. The spiritual world is, is eternal. And there's a conflict that's going on there. My goal in this series is to get you to understand some things. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, every message that I Teach, I have two goals. Number one is what I want you to know. And number two, what I want you to do. I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about what I want you to know. What are some things biblically about this spiritual battle that we're in? Then I'm gonna give you some practical things that we can do, all right? Y'all with me? It's very important. Number one, watch this. You gotta understand these things. You and I are not alone in this battle. The struggles that you're dealing with, the oppression that you're dealing with, that, listen, that struggle with that child you're dealing with, let me tell you something, you're not alone. That marriage, you're not alone. That struggle in culture, that neighbor, that thing, that whatever it is, your boss at work, let me tell you, you're not alone. It's not your, watch this, this is important. It's not just your ability intellectually to position arguments. There's an appropriate place for verbal disputation. There's an appropriate place for, 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 for discussing things. But I'm telling you, there is another realm, and you gotta realize that you and I are not alone. Interestingly enough, there is an amazing story in 2 Kings to illustrate this point. It tells a story in 2 Kings where the nation of Israel was at war against the king of Armon, a neighboring country. And there was a servant who was in dialogue with a man of God named Elisha. Now there's Elijah and then came Elisha. And in this dialogue, the servant was very concerned because he saw, don't miss this, 
He saw the army arrayed against them, and he was concerned. But there was a spiritual insight. Everyone say insight. There was a spiritual insight that the man of God gave, and watch this, and a prayer for this person's eyes to be open. Here's my prayer for this series. Oh God, open our eyes. Open my eyes. Let me see in the spirit realm the reality of what's going on around me. Listen to this story. It's so powerful. Number one, you are not alone in your battle. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, the Bible says, and when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city. That's a physical army with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? And so he answered, do not fear for those, here it is, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Listen to this. The servant was scared. He looked out and he saw the enemy forces everywhere. There was horses and warriors and all sorts of troops. He was saying, we are way outnumbered. They're everywhere. I mean, listen, when you compare their resources against our resources, when you compare their, their army against, against what, look, and, and it looked as though, it looked as though they were highly disadvantaged. But thank God that Elisha understood the spiritual realm. Thank God that he understood this principle that we have one foot in the natural realm, but we also have one foot in the spiritual realm. And he told him, the guy was so concerned. And by the way, by the way, Elisha did not deny the reality of that physical army. We're not denying the physical challenges that we're having. We're not denying the fact that, oh, well, I'm not going through this. I'm not. No, no, you are going through it. There is physical challenges. There are realities in the natural realm we're dealing with. I'm simply saying, let's look up and look out beyond that because there's something beyond that greater for you. Watch this. This is fascinating. Watch what happens. Verse 17. So Elisha says, he says, Lord, I pray that you would open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now those were not physical, but those were angelic hosts that he saw. He said, whoa, that's amazing. There's more for us than against us. In other words, he had his eyes open in the spiritual realm and he saw the reality of what was, quote, behind him. You know the, the scripture talks about the battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. What does that mean? Do you know, and by the way, week three, four, five, I'm not sure where. I'm gonna talk about angels. The Bible says the angels have been sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. That's you and I. In other words, there's angelic hosts around us and the power of God and the heavenly host, the Bible talks about that, that are warring, listen, that are warring on behalf of God's people. And he said, open his eyes. Man, listen, if we, just think about this. Every challenge that we were in, if we would stop and go, there's a spiritual origination to this battle. How, how would that change our world? How, how would that change your world? How would that change my world. Now, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be in this. I'm, I'm recognizing, time out, this is a spiritual battle. I'm not denying the thing that I'm going through. I'm not denying the reality of the conflict, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm asking God, God, open my eyes. Come on, that's the prayer. Lord, open my, let, let me see what's going on around me. Number one, there's a lot more for you than you realize. I got to tell you this. 
which is so, so interesting. Sometimes the, the pressure that I feel, and I look, when I feel this pressure and this intensity of things emotionally, one of the things that I'm realizing, thank God for great men around me and our, my covenant brothers that are around me, one of the things that I'm realizing is, is that I'm stopping, I'm pausing, watch this, and I'm wanting to gain proper perspective. There's something about that. Just stop. Everyone say, just stop. Yeah, just stop. Just pause and go, wait a minute, time out. There's more for me than against me. God is fighting for me. Stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. God is fighting on our behalf. All right? So number one, there is a spiritual realm, and there's more for you than against you. All right? You got to understand that as a child of God. Number two, the second thing is your prayers, they're a lot more powerful than you realize. Every time you pray a prayer, every time you lift your voice to God, listen, your prayers are much more powerful than you realize. The enemy would like to diminish that. He'd like to somehow suggest to you that, you know, God's up there and he's way up there and he doesn't really hear your prayers, but that's not true at all. Daniel prayed prayers and Paul prayed prayers and Peter prayed prayers. Matter of fact, the church of Jerusalem, it's interestingly enough, when you look back in the book of Acts, one time in, in, in jail, you know, the Bible talks about there was a, there was, Peter was in jail and the whole church in Jerusalem prayer, prayed and lifted up their voice and God did a supernatural miracle. Let me tell you something. Every time you pray, it doesn't, listen, happen when you think and it doesn't often happen how you think, but God hears your prayers and they're super powerful. They're super powerful. The enemy fears a man or a woman of God that prays, that really connects and opens their voice to God. That's what the Bible says in James chapter 5. It says this. It says the effective fervent prayer. A fervent prayer. What is that? There's a passionate cry in our heart where we lift our voice to God. We lift our voice to God. We call upon the Lord. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man or a woman of God avails much. There's, every time we lift our voice for our, our family, every time we lift our voice for the nation in which God has placed, every time we lift our voice for the church that God has placed us in, anytime we lift our voice and we're praying for our family, our friends, our loved ones to come to Christ, our prodigals to come up, God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. And I'm telling you something, if we can see it, I'm telling you, the gates of hell, listen, are being pushed back. Why? Because the prayers of God's people are much more powerful than the enemy would like us to realize. I'm getting fired up preaching, okay? Why is that? He wants to silence our mouth. He wants to silence the mouth of the church. He wants to silence the mouth of believers. There's a very real battle that's going on, but we're learning in this message. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against, let me tell you, it is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers, and God has equipped us. So what does the devil do? Let me give you three things the devil does. Number one, let me give you the first one is he wants to blind the mind of an unbeliever. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Isn't it interesting? I remember before I was a Christian, I'd go to church, my mind would be wandering and just kind of all over the place. And, and the fact is, is that the enemy would do anything he can to try to blind your mind. What does that mean? To obscure your ability to deduce correctly. Before you become a Christ follower, one plus one does not equal two. It's like one plus one equals the blood of Jesus, the cross. That doesn't make sense. Then you get saved and your eyes are opened up. 
What the enemy does is he works overtime. That's why as Christ's followers, our prayers are so important to what? To peel back, to peel back the work of the enemy in a person's life. This week, I had the opportunity to go to New York and we were riding back in our, our as a, in a sense, our rented cab. And uh, I was in the back seat. Pastor Dave DeGarmo was in the front seat. And uh, we had a great businessman in our church was in the back as well. And uh, Pastor Dave, we just felt prompted to share Christ with this person. Pastor Dave started preaching to him, loving him, but encouraging the guy. Uh, and, and, and this guy in the back seat. And I'm just praying the whole time. Let me tell you what I was praying, all right? Here's what I was praying. Oh, God, open the mind of this man. Open his mind and open his heart. How many know there's a battle for the minds and the hearts of unbelievers? The good news is that man got gloriously born again after an hour and 20-minute drive. He's saved. He's excited. Pastor Dave got his number, and he's getting him in a church in New York. Let me share the second thing that the enemy wants to do. He wants to steal the Word of God out of the hearts of people. The Bible says that immediately. Everyone say immediately. Immediately after the word is sown, the enemy wants to come steal. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and tries to snatch away what was sown in the heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Isn't it interesting? Man, you're in church and you're trying to learn the word of God and you're trying to get it in your heart and you go home, you're like, no, what was the pastor saying and what was going on? And you don't, maybe, by the way, that's why we give you notes. How I many you know it's harder for the enemy to steal it out of your heart if you look at it with your head a couple times? Well, that was good just then. <laughs> that's why we do that. Why? Because we know that there's a battle over the word of God and we want to get it in your heart, in your life. The enemy wants to come to steal. You get tired, man, you make a decision. I'm gonna start praying. I'm gonna wake up. I'm gonna spend time in the word of God. Let me tell you, you make a decision to do that and all hell will try to fight you to keep you out of that word because he knows if, he can, if your nose and eyes get in this book, your life will change. That's why he fights personal devotional time. It's like the spirit of sleep he comes on you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let me show you the third thing that the enemy tries to do uh, in, in our lives. He tries to set a trap to ensnare us. He tries to set a trap to ensnare us. I, I've told some of you guys this before. Some of you have heard that in my house growing up as a kid, uh, we had a trap. My grandma was a Cajun woman, grew up in Golden Meadow and cut off, and she would trap down in the bayou. She would trap before school uh, minks, muskrat, and we, she gave us one of her traps. And my brother and I, we used to love, we would take sticks, we'd set the trap, and we'd sit, and, and, and we would put sticks in it, and just, it would be, it was so cool to see, man. I'm telling you, it was a really cool thing. But the point is, it gave me a vivid image in my mind that when I read scriptures like this, I begin to understand how the enemy tries to set traps in the lives of believers. And here's the reason why. Remember, we're free. We have the ability to roam around and do what we want and follow God's spirit, but there's these little traps. In other words, you make a decision to follow Christ, it's amazing how your friends from the world will call you and say, hey man, come on with me. Let's go do it. Let's go party. And the next thing you know, you're like, well, I don't know about this. Time out. That's a trap. You make a decision, listen, to live differently. You make a decision to take things off your computer. You make a decision to put blocks on your computer. Are y'all with me or not? You make a decision, you make a decision to live right, to live clean, to love God, and, 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 and all of a sudden, there's this weird thing, and by the way, it makes totally no sense. When something doesn't make sense, it's the enemy. You're like, how did that happen? I, well, I'll tell you exactly, the enemy's trying to set a what? Everybody say it, a uh, trap. We've got to be wise. 
Paul talks about we shouldn't be ignorant. We shouldn't be ignorant to the traps of the enemy. The bad news is the enemy wants to trap us. The good news is, is that we can be wise about that. We can watch. The tra- Wait, that's a trap. That's a booby trap. Second Timothy chapter two, Paul says it this way. He says that you may come to your senses and escape the what? The snare. That's the trap. The trap of the enemy having been taken captive by him to do his will. Pastor, this is so heavy, but it's in the Bible. I remember after I came to Christ, I told my friends in the world, I said, I'm not going to go party with you anymore. I'm not going to want to do that stuff. Four times I gave in. Four times. Finally, December 31st, 19, uh, what would that have been? 1987. Uh, my last time I woke up the next day, I said, I'm not going with you guys anymore. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to love God. And it would, be allure, it would be like an allurement just to kind of lure me in. Some of you would say, well, Pastor, you know, I never really struggled with that. Yeah, well, you may be, the enemy may try to lure you in through unforgiveness. Maybe it's lure you in through gossip. Lure you in through lust that, 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 that nobody else can see, but God can see it, and it's destroying your heart. Are you with me? So we can be wise to the enemy's traps. We don't have to give in. We don't have to give in to the, we don't have to give in to unforgiveness and bitterness. We, we don't have to take the bait. So I want to close with giving you some equipment that the Bible talks about. I want to talk about how we can spiritually get dressed every day, all right? We get physically dressed, but how we spiritually can get dressed. So let's go back to the Ephesians chapter 6. Are y'all with me? Come on now. How many of y'all excited about this? Yes? I want to talk about, I want to talk about how we can be spiritually equipped, all right, with the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, and this in a sense will provide a basis uh, for our series over the next six weeks. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 to 18. The Bible says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, by the way, the word stand is the word histamine in the Greek. Interestingly enough, isn't that an interesting concept? An anti-what? Say it. Histamine, it fights against. How many you know God's word fights against the, the alien things that want to come against us? We're to stand against those things. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's break this down. Paul here uses the analogy of the armor of a Roman soldier because his audience would have known exactly what he's talking about. I'm going to flip some of these pieces around. There's five defensive pieces and there's one offensive piece. I'm going to start at the top, all right? And we're going to work our way down. Number one, I want to talk about what is it and what does it mean when Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Now, let me say this. Years ago, I was part of a church and it was great. We had a prayer life and we learned how to pray in the morning time and and it was awesome. And we would, I put on the helmet of salvation. And I think there's something great symbolically just saying I put on the helmet of salvation, but actually putting it on is more than just saying the word. Are y'all with me? It's not just saying I put on the helmet of salvation. So what, how do I practically, what is it? And what can I practically do? How do I put it on? None of us, none of us are saved by our good works. None of us. We are saved by grace. We're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by what Christ did. When Christ came into our life, he changed our heart. But let me give you 
And another concept, he also gave you the ability to change your mind and your thinking. Our minds from the very young age is filled with a lot of junk, a lot of trash. What it means to put on the helmet of salvation is it means that we are to be daily bathed with the word of God, that we are to understand who God is. Listen, every day my mind, your mind, every single one of us, our minds are being polluted by the world, by what we see, by what we're exposed to, by the things that come up on the internet, driving down the interstate, man, billboard, I mean, just things everywhere, right? So to put on the helmet of salvation means that we're putting on the word of God. We're memorizing scripture. We're allowing the word of God to wash. Everyone say wash. What are we, what is it? It's washing away the dirt of the world out of our mind. The Bible says we're not transformed by the, re, by the removal of our mind. We don't, take our, we don't just say, well, our mind means nothing, but it's to be renewed. And I believe that Paul was saying is we will diligently allow the word of God to wash our mind, to wash that negative thinking out, to, 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 to wash out that unhealthy thinking, that lustful thinking, that defeated thinking, and allow the word of God. Paul says, let me tell you something. The enemy comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The warfare that Paul talks about actually begins in the mind. That's where it begins. It's in your thought life. Because if he can take advantage of your thought life, then he can affect your emotional life, your thoughts, then your emotions, then your decision-making life. Are y'all with me? It's just so important that we understand this. So Paul says, number one, put on the helmet of what? Say it, salvation. We are to guard our thoughts, guard what goes in our mind. Number two, the second thing, so we're starting with the helmet, right? We're talking about spiritual warfare. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. Scripture says that our hearts, yes, are deceitful above all things, but when we get born again, we exchange our unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness. Watch this. So now I become righteous before God. Please don't miss this. Because of what Christ did for me on the cross. What guards my heart each day is not my behavior. It's the reality of who Christ has made me to be. Are you with me? I get a new identity. Identity follows out of good. My, my behavior flows out of my identity, not the other way around. I don't become righteous by my deeds because I'm righteous. See, that's a reality that we've got to know. Let me tell you what the enemy's number one strategy to attack that part, to attack your heart, here's what he does, is through condemnation. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction says you made a mistake. Condemnation says you are a mistake. You're no good. You're dirty. You're unworthy. God doesn't love you. He'll never, no, 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 time out. No, 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 time out, time out. I have on the breastplate of what? Everybody say the breastplate of righteousness. I'm righteous in Christ because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I am holy because of the blood of Jesus. I'm not holy based upon my performance. I'm holy based upon my belief, not my behavior. But if I believe I'm righteous by the blood of Christ, it impacts my behavior. Man, I could talk a lot about this. So the helmet of salvation, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who made, he, he, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Then when our spiritual enemy hurls darts and fiery accusations at us, he tries to defeat us, then we hold up the shield of faith. I love this, man. This is so powerful. Watch this. I had a friend of mine. We went to Florida years ago. We were singles at a church and 
I never forget, he, he, he would walk around and anything negative, he'd be like, shield of faith, I put up my shield of faith. And there's a truth to that. The, 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 the flaming, fiery darts of the wicked one, the accusations of the enemy that try to come against you and I every day. You're no good. You won't make it. Your marriage will end. Your kids will never serve God. You're going to go broke. You'll never be able to succeed. God will never forgive you. You're going back to the world. How many of you know we need a big old shield of faith to get up? No, no, that's a lie. I'm a new creation in Christ. No, no, that's a lie. What God has put together, let no man separate. No, no, that's a lie. Me and my household, we shall serve the Lord. No, no, that's a lie. All that I touch, the Bible says, God has made to prosper. Y'all with me or not? In other words, we got to put up the shield of faith. What is that? The word of God. What is the, it's the, it's that, it's that shield around our lives. We're putting it on each day. We're memorizing scripture of who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, what we can do in Christ, what God's called us to be, who God's called us to be, what God's called us to do, who I am in Christ. That's why it's so important that we understand who we are in Christ. All right, let me go on. The fourth piece. So we got everybody say helmet of salvation. Say breastplate of righteousness. Say shield of faith, say belt of truth. Never forget, Pastor David DeGarmo, years ago, man, he walked into one of our meetings. He had a, he had a belt on, but he had a buckle on. It was, as, it was as big as half his body. I said, Dave, is that thing functional? He says, no, it's just for show. How many know the belt of truth is highly functional? Are you with me? It holds up everything else. Now, listen to me. I want everyone to hear me at all of our campuses. We live in a highly subjective culture. We live in a culture that is rife, R-I-F-E. It is immersed in subjectivity. It is immersed in situational ethics. There's no right. There's no wrong. It's what you feel. But I thank God that we don't base our life on what we feel. We, we don't base our life on what we even think. We base our life on what we believe to be true in God's word. We base our life on what is true, what is right, what is noble, what is honorable, what the word of God says. That as we gird ourselves with truth, that it holds every part of our armor together, the breastplate, it's all, it was all connected together in the Roman soldier's life. And then let me just encourage every single person. The Bible says that Satan himself is the father of what? Say it, lies. <clears throat> Had a guy one time in our church that, that worked for the government in his role his role was to, to, to detect counterfeit money. And I asked him one time, I said, man, tell me what you like do all day long. He says, well, one of the things that we do is we actually go to a school. And when we go to this school, that we are, this is really interesting. He says that we spend long periods of time dealing with money that's not counterfeit. And we handle it, we look at it, we evaluate it, we look at it, we feel it. And he says, because we've spent so much time with that which is true, it's easy for us to identify that which is false. See, the longer that you spend time in God's word, in truth, everyone say truth. The longer we spend time in truth, we'll be able to easily identify what is what? Say it, false. Paul said, put on the belt of truth. The fifth and final defensive piece of armor is the gospel shoes of peace. We are to put on the shoes of peace. Your feet and my feet should be planted daily, firmly, in the peace of God. We should live in the peace of God. We should walk in the peace of God. Let me tell you one of the greatest signs that there is a God. Y'all ready? I want everybody to hear me at all of our campuses. One of the greatest, listen, Baton Rouge, Gulf Coast, 
Our congregation in Metairie, I want you to hear me. One of the greatest testimonies that we serve a God that's alive and not dead is the reality that when our life falls apart, listen, our world falls apart, our life doesn't have to. When things around us start, you can still stand in the peace of God. You know, that's a testimony to a broken world. Bro, I don't know what it is about you, but like, you, you should be a lot more freaked out than you are. Why are you not like freaking out? Well, I'm concerned, but God's with me. And I'm walking in his peace. I'm living in his peace. Let me tell you something. The enemy wants to get us in the flesh, get us into fear, knock us into anxiety. But if we'll just stand on his word, we live in the peace of God. We stand in peace, all right? Let me give you this last one. Here it is. The last piece of armor is an offensive piece. Paul talks about it as the sword of the spirit. Isn't that powerful? He says, he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment, all right? The word of God, the sword of the spirit. I want everybody to hear me. Little Creek and every one of our campuses online, those that are in the prisons and jails that are watching as well. This is so important. I don't want anybody to miss this statement. This is so powerful as we war against the works of darkness. The Bible itself is not the sword of the spirit. I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. It's not just having a Bible in your house. I had a guy tell me one time, man, I was scared I slept with the Bible. That's great, but you better get that Bible in your heart. And I'll go a step further. You better get that Bible coming out of your mouth. The sword of the Spirit is when the Word of God is internalized in your life and it is spoken by faith out of your mouth. You remember Jesus when he defeated the enemy in the wilderness? What did he do? Three times. It is what? Say it. How did he defeat the devil? He spoke the word. Everybody say, speak the word. When we speak the word, let me tell you, I believe that we're cutting down darkness. When we speak the word over our family, when we speak the word over our kids, when we speak the word over our finances, when we speak the word over our future, when we speak the word over our businesses, what are we doing? We are pushing back the kingdom of darkness. It's the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Now, Man, I got so much to talk about. Let me give you one, y'all want one more concept? Let me give you one more. This is, so, this is so important. And I think this will be the last foundational concept and then we're gonna pick up next week. Here it is. All right, it's on your notes. Check out this last thing. As we're talking about spiritual warfare, we've gotta understand this. We do not fight for victory. We fight from a position of victory. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? We personally are not trying to defeat the devil we're actually standing, watch this, in the def we are standing in faith in the fact that the devil has been defeated by Christ. In other words, listen, in other words, we are, I remember a movie years ago, I don't know if it was a good movie, I just remember this thought, so don't judge me, but it was called The Enforcer. We are enforcing the victory of Calvary. That's what we're doing. We are enforcing the victory of of Calvary. Listen to what the Bible says. This ought to get you excited right here. Just remember that. When you wake up, what do we remember? We remember that we live in a spiritual realm. We remember that there's more for us than against us. We remember that God, listen, here's our prayers and our prayers are powerful. But at the end of the day, the bow on this whole thing is this concept. All right? We are enforcers. I want everybody to say at the count of three, I'm an enforcer. One, two, three. 
I'm an enforcer. Very powerful. Here's what the Bible says. Having disarmed principalities and powers, remember what our battle's against who? Principalities and powers. Having disarmed principalities and powers. He, who's that? Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What is it? Everybody say it. The cross. When we fight we are enforcing the victory of Calvary. When we, listen, when we fight, we are standing in faith on the word of God. Listen, defeating a, a defeated foe. In other words, we're enforcing his defeat. Devil, you have no authority over my life. Jesus defeated you at the cross. Devil, you have no authority over my family. You have no authority over my mind. You were defeated at the cross. Jesus made a public spectacle of you, defeating you. He defeated hell, death, and the grave. Take your hands off my mind. Take your hands off my heart. Take your hands off my family. Take your hands off my finances. Take your hands off my business. Take your hands, listen, take your hand in the name of Jesus, take your hands off. This is no trespassing. Man, that'll put faith in your heart. You've got to understand this. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to stand, all of our campuses.